I, I, I just, I'm so excited about the message, so excited about what God is going to speak to us. You know, if you read a book, toward the end of the book, at the very end of the book or the story or whatever, you'll find it, uh, uh, maybe a title where it says epilogue. You got chapters and you get this epilogue. Epilogues are important because it gives you the closure that you need. <laughs> Something in that epilogue is important to understand. Something in that epilogue says, okay, I'm, uh, this is what happened. They, they, Jack and Jill went off and they had a, a great life together and everything, everything was good. They set up a house and it was good. But unless you know the story, the epilogue, it just doesn't have enough. If you don't know the story, so if I took the, had the greatest story ever and then with the, the most perfect epilogue, and I just read you the epilogue this morning to that story, to that book, you would say, okay, there's some good things in that. That's cool. There's some, there's some things in there that make sense. There's some things that uh, I, I, I understand. But then you don't really understand the whole depth of it because Jack and Jill might go off and, and live together, but you don't know how they struggle to get up that hill. <laughs> You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? You don't understand it, it, the buy-in and the connection is so important. And then you say, well, Greg, why, why are you talking about that? Because in today's passage that we're going to be studying and looking at, at the very end is an epilogue. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 52. I just want to read that to you real quick. It says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and physical and in favor with God and with man. That right there is a great teaching. And I've heard many a message just on that one verse. It's a good thought. It's something that encourages us. Because we need to understand that if we have favor with God and we exclude everyone around us, we're missing the point. We're missing the point of what our relationship with God is about. Or, on the other hand, if it's only about winning people's approval, if it's only about making sure everyone around me likes me and everything's good and you miss the relationship that matters with you and God, then, then you're something missing. But it says that Jesus grew up, he grew up in physically, he grew, and he grew up mentally understanding and in favor. That means blessings from God and from everyone around him. So that's a great teaching. But what we need to understand is that's just the epilogue. The power of understanding the blessing that God has for us and how we're to grow and continue to grow in God comes from the story. If we just look at that, then it's like having, it's like having uh, an answer without the question. The answer is important. And the answer might be something you can look at by itself and go, okay, that's pretty cool. That's, that's something good. But the power uh, for that answer is found in the story. It's found in something before. So it's, if you have an answer without the question, then, then it's, it's shallow. It's, it's not as connecting. And you might be asking me, okay, well, Greg, then what's the question? That's a good question. What is the question? And for us this morning, the question that we're going to draw out of this passage that I think God wants us to step into and understand is that the question is, how do we live a good Life filled with joy and peace and holiness in the midst of these holidays that can be so distorting and so distracting to the point that we think it isn't even worth doing it. <laughs> we get so lost in things. And some people might push back and say, no, we shouldn't do Christmas because, you know, the, the, the tree is a pagan. It's 
comes from a pagan religion. <laughs> there was no Christmas trees around Jesus. <laughs> or we shouldn't do Easter. We shouldn't celebrate Easter because, uh, you know, they attach it to a bunny. <laughs> and they want to beat up a bunny and they want to crucify Santa Claus. But they missed the point <laughs> because Jesus had a way to step into whatever holiday it was, whatever was going on, and bring out a reality and a strength and a relationship with God that is so much stronger. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. How can we live right now in this season? Because even as great as Thanksgiving is, you got family coming in, Uncle Joe's weird, and you don't, I hope you don't have any Uncle Joe's. But, you know, things are going on, and you got your family, and it's just crazy, and all of a sudden you lose sight, you know, and you forget, you watch so much football, you forget about saying, oh, oh God, thank you, by the way, <laughs> that we're blessed, even with the midst of inflation and everything going on, we're blessed, and God is there, and it's easy to lose track of what's going on. So this morning, I want to start a seven-part series, and it's called the Seven Steps to Living Holy Holidays, seven steps that we're going to draw right out of what Jesus did to living holy holidays, how to understand how we can live in a messed up, crazy world, not just in the holidays, but all the time, and with peace, and with hope, and with life. How do we do that? How do we live in a, in a, in a place that God can really use us? I re remember when Jared, my first son, was just, I think he was just a little over two, so he was just really young, <laughs> but he was running around and you know, busy, and so I'm a first-time dad, and Lisa was away somewhere. I, maybe she was working. I don't remember, but I was home alone with, with, with Jared, and I'll admit, too, that God has blessed me <laughs> and, and helped with these kids, but sometimes as a young father, I, I didn't always catch it, so all of a sudden, I realized it got quiet. How many know when you have a little two-year-old around and it's quiet, this is a bad sign? So it got really quiet, and I think, oh, Jared, Jared, I looked here, I looked there, I looked everywhere, I couldn't find him, and then, you know, pretty soon it went from Jared, Jared, don't hide, Jared, to Jared, 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 where are you? You know, and you look in the closets, and you open everything like that, and I searched that house from top to bottom, two-story house, and there was no Jared, <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, you know how time just slows down? And your vision just goes from really wide to very narrow. And your heart starts beating. You, you can't, you can feel it actually inside your chest. This is what I'm feeling. Because I realize he's not in the house. That means my little two-year-old son is running around outside. Now, we're in a cul-de-sac, so that's good. But I ran outside. He wasn't there. I ran to the right side of the house. He wasn't there. And then I looked to the left side of the house. He wasn't there. I looked in the backyard. He wasn't there. Okay, now I'm missing my son. He's not in the house I know for sure he's not outside. I looked everywhere. You would expect him to be playing in the yard or, or somewhere, but he's nowhere to be seen. Now, this is before uh, cell phones or anything. I know I've seriously dated myself. but So I'm, I'm about to, I'm a, just a split second from running in the house, picking up the phone, calling 911, doing something, calling someone. I'm certainly not going to call my wife yet because that would be a death for me. But anyway, so I'm thinking, well, I, but at that last second, I just caught something, just caught something out of the corner of my eye, and I froze, and I looked and scanned right, and there was nothing there, and then I looked really close, and my neighbors, and we had no fences for mine in my neighbor's yard, and he had a, a fort, you know, with a sand box below it, and then a fort with a ladder going up, and then I looked again, and didn't move, and I saw these two little bitty hands on the top of the rail. It wasn't a very high rail. 
But it was just enough for him to just grab up and just pull himself up. And I saw these two little eyes. And I thought, yes, yes. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, Father. And then I thought, I'm going to kill him. He's going to die. He's going to die right here. I'm going to get in trouble because, you know, that's, that's it. And I ran up there, and I said, he had to climb that ladder. I have no idea how he did that. I mean, he just do little feet. How do you do that, you know? And climb, climbed up there, and I, I got him down, and I'm hoping. And he's laughing. He's not catching the point. <laughs> he's enjoying it. He's laughing. You see, in his own mind, he thought he was where he was supposed to be. This is what you do. This is fun. Go play in the fort. Probably wanted to play in that fort for a long time, and I didn't know it. He was enjoying it. He thought he was supposed to be there. Now, you take that feeling. Take that thought. Jesus is 12 years old, and his family is going to Passover, the celebration in Jerusalem. So they're traveling from Nazareth, and they're going to Jerusalem. Now, this is an important time because age 12, everything starts to change for a young boy. He becomes a man, and he has to do certain things. And one of the things, you have to attend at least three festivals, at least three major events, and Passover was one of them. And the, the reason that was important is because this is the time, at age 12, you at least declare what you're going to do, what you're going to be. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> at 12, you're supposed to say, okay, I'm going to, this is my profession. This is what I'm going to do. And so Jesus was expected to do that. Now, it was usually an easy answer because 99% of the time, you just picked what your dad was doing because <laughs> that's what you could do. <laughs> that's what was available. And so they went to the, uh, the Passover, and after it was over, the, they left. And they were about a day's journey when all of a sudden they realized Jesus wasn't there. And I imagine they went pretty much what I just described, pretty much feeling like Jesus is not there. So they had traveled a day. They had to travel back a day, probably got there that night, stayed wherever, outside, got up the next day, and for a whole day, searched this enormous, because it was a festival, and people were everywhere, city, and they couldn't find him. Finally, toward the end of the day, the end of the third day, they find him. He's in the temple. He's in the temple, and he's talking to other, to, to rabbis and to spiritual leaders, and they were astonished when they found him because there he is. He's talking to them, and he's just he's he's answer, a, asking questions. He's answering questions. He's he's interacting with them, and they probably just stood there, just dumbfounded, like you know, probably feeling like yes, we found you, and then probably thinking we're going to kill you. I know it's wrong to say that, but yeah, come on, this is how we live. So his parents were there, and they finally come up, and, and the first thing they said was, "Jesus, this is about us. You know what you did to us." Do you not know what we were going through? Do you not know how worried we were? Come on, Jesus. Jesus has this amazing answer. And this is the answer. He said, wait a minute, I'm confused. Did you not know that I would be here? Did, why didn't you know I would be in my father's house? Because you see, what Jesus was doing was a job interview. Jesus said, I'm in my father's house doing my father's business because God has called me to be a rabbi. God has called me to be a teacher. I am the Messiah. I am God. I am, this is my father's house, and this is the profession that I'm going to go in. So he, was, he had chosen to be a rabbi, and that meant going to school, leaving the family, and then for the next years, up until you're 29, doing that, <laughs> being learning to be a rabbi. This is what he told them. Did you... Did you not know this is my father's house? I'm going to go into my father's business. <laughs> and they looked at him, and they, they probably, 
I think they had the same look that I have when Justin describes to me who he just defended his uh, dissertation for nuclear engineering and did great. Yay, woo, we were proud of him. But when he describes the dissertation to me, that's probably what they were looking at. <laughs> when, and I'm going, okay, I see the mouth moving, and I know the words mean something, but I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> and so I think Mary and Joseph did that too. They looked at Jesus, and they said, do you know what he's talking about? I don't know what he's talking about. Mary says, I think, but I'm not sure, <laughs> you know, because Mary knows something no one else does. But he says, hey, you know, what's going on? And this is what they do. Then they said, hey, no, Jesus, you're coming with us. Because he, Joseph, I don't believe, was a carpenter. That was something made up about 15, uh, uh, 500 years ago. The word is, is artist or someone. And most, if you had 100 uh, artists that work with their hands, that's what that Greek word means. And you take 100 of them, one might have worked with wood, 99 of them worked with stone. I think he was a stonemason. And right next to Nazareth where they lived was this huge project that went on for about 50 years of where they employed thousands and thousands of people. So I think they, they were saying, come on, Jesus, you're going to be a stonemason. You're going to be, uh, you do what your father is doing. And what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 51. Remember, 52 is where the epilogue was, where they grew in wisdom and stature. But look at 51. It says, then he went down to Nazareth with them and obeyed and was obedient to them. Now, we need to break that down a little bit. Because to me, when you, the word went down, usually means descend. Now, Jerusalem was high, so everyone always descended. So it meant that. But it also, I think it means something else. Jesus descended to be obedient. Jesus came down. I think there's a picture there for us. Let's just stop and think about. Jesus was willing to humble himself, to lower himself. God came down to be obedient so that you and I can live a life that is so different because of what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus said, I will come down and be obedient. It literally, obedient means in subject myself to you. I will come down and allow you to, uh, to have me be a stonemason. Now, you're my first thought, mate. Wait, 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 wait a minute. This doesn't seem right. Jesus was called to be a rabbi. Jesus was called to be a teacher. Jesus was called to be in his father's house and to be the Messiah. <laughs> That's who he is as God, all God. So this is what he's supposed to do. And then they're saying, no, you come with him. What do you do? What do you do? Some might think, no, 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 you should, uh, should just do what God wants and then just skip this. But that's not what Jesus did on this first Passover that he was celebrating as a man. He said, I will go with you, and I will honor my parents. I think we should honor our parents. I know sometimes the parents are just so <laughs> bad and wrong, we have to make sure that we're taken care of. But there's something profound that just happened here that is so easily to miss. And then we jump to 52. Hey, he grew in wisdom and with God and, and, and favor with man. How did he get there? What does that mean? You see, here's the point that Jesus teaches us from the very beginning. Honoring God, how do we honor God? How do we really honor God? You would think, well, honoring God is to go and to be what you're called to be, right? But honoring God was to honoring others. He honored his parents and trusted God. Because you see, 
when it comes down to it, honor is the, the most clear, tangible way to walk in our faith. What does it mean to walk in our faith? How do we walk in our faith? Or we walk in our faith by honoring God. That means trusting him. Jesus could have said, no, this doesn't feel right. I, I'm supposed to be here in the temple. I'm supposed to be a rabbi. This, this, is, what, this is what I'm supposed to do. But he said, God, I'm going to trust you because I'm going to honor you by honoring others. You see, this is the way that I think God wants to help us understand. How do we live this life? How do, in the midst of everything going around, we're loving God, trying to serve God. How do we really live and honor God? Because God is honored when we live an honoring life to other people and to people around us. So Jesus gives us the first step to this holy holidays. How do we live holy holidays? Here it is. Very simple. Step one. <laughs> holy honor. Live holy honor. It's amazing how in this century now that that seems almost like a foreign word to us. We don't understand that. We don't understand about uh, submitting and honoring one another. And I believe with all of my heart, if you want to sow the most amazing holiday these next two months in your life and then on into next year, because there's always a holiday. <laughs> We're good at that, right? You know, got New Year's and we got Valentine's, whatever, Easter. We got well, July, 4th of July. There's always something. But in the midst of all of that, if you want to sow an incredible holy holiday, start sowing honor to God. How do we do that? How do we honor? How do we really, what does this really mean? Psalms 50, verse 15. I love this. I love this verse. It says, call on me in the day of trouble and I'll deliver you. Call on me. Hey, okay. Everyone's for that, right? We can call on God. And that's true. You, you absolutely have access. You can call on God and you will be delivered. God is faithful. We've got to believe in the faithfulness of God. But as we call on him and he delivers us, that means then that we are living honor. Because you know what that is? That's trust. God, I trust you today. I can't do this. I can't live this life. I can't go through this. I can't deal with this relationship struggle, this finances, whatever it is. I'm really this personality, whatever. I, I can't do this, God, this sin that keeps besetting me, that keeps overwhelming me. I can't deal with it. How do we do that? We trust God. How do we trust God? We call on him. He delivers us. Then we live honor. That's how we honor God, by trusting who he is. Now, what does it mean to honor, though? Really? What does it mean? We just say thanks. Walk around and say, thank you, God, thank you, thank, thank you, God. I think that's not bad. <laughs> I think our lives would be a lot different if we walked around and every other word was thank you, God, thank you, God. Okay. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. Because, you see, honoring God and the way that we honor God is, it, is an expression of how we live our lives. Here's my first thought. Honoring God keeps the right perspective. When we, when we live this holy honor, we have the right perspective. Now, what does that mean to have the right perspective? Romans 12.10 tells us very simply, gives us a clear understanding of that. It says, be devoted, devoted to one another. Honor in love. Honor others above what you want, what you're thinking, what you want to do, what your will is, what your hope is. You make sure that others are honored over what you're doing. Boy, that was really easy to say and probably the hardest thing we're going to do today <laughs> because that honoring is so much more intense. It's like people saying it became sort of a fad 
nowadays to say, I, I love you. I just can't stand you. I just can't stand, don't like you. <laughs> don't want to be around you. Don't like that. I love you, but I don't like you. No, no. Okay. You try doing that and honoring them above what you want, what you think, who you are. Because that's what Jesus said we have to do. And that's what Jesus began before he ever got into ministry, before he ever did. I, he said, I'm going to live honor because that honors God. When I honor what other people are, are, are doing, that doesn't mean we condone right, wrong behavior, understand. But it does mean we have an attitude of honor. Honor is what God has called us to do. And that's the only way we're going to honor Jesus. That's the only way. Holy honor is, is uh, this second thought, honor is love. It's to love them. It's to love them like Jesus honored them. It's not just to love them like I want to be loved because Jesus brought us a whole nother level. He said, don't just, don't just love them like you want to be loved. Love them like I love them. Honor them like I have honored them. Okay, how did you do that? I gave my life for them. Whoa. <laughs> See, that's, that's what it means for us. That doesn't mean you go out and kill yourself. That What that means is you make sure you honor their life above yours. That's what it means. But secondly, holy honor lives in everyday life. It lives in everyday life. It's not something that is just uh, internal. 1 Corinthians 6.20, I love this. It says, you were bought with a price. It cost Christ something. It cost God something. It says, therefore, because you were bought with a price, honor God with your bodies. Now, I, I love this, and, and let me just break this down a little bit, because bodies there is not spirit. He could have used the word spirit. He could have used pneuma. He could have just said spirit, but he didn't. And he, he, he didn't, it, the scripture doesn't say sorus, which, which is, would be for flesh, you know, like physical body. Because if it just said spirit, that meant Inside, as long as you're good inside, doesn't really mean what you do. It doesn't matter what you do on the outside. As long as inside you're good here, you're good. <laughs> and we've sort of fallen into that. My, well, I meant well. <laughs> well, my intentions were well. Well, inside I thought well, but that's not what came out. <laughs> and so inside, it's really easy to, to think. Well, it's just that, but it doesn't say that, and it doesn't say just flesh because that would be just works. As long as you show up, as long as you give this amount, as long as you do these things, as long as you go through these rituals, then you're good. It doesn't say that. It uses the word for soul, soma. It uses the word, which means your whole body, inside and out. <laughs> you see, the Gnostics in, were rampant in the early church, and they almost destroyed the early church. And the Gnostics basically said this. God loves you. You love God. As long as you're good there, it doesn't matter what you do. Go out, sleep around, have sex with prostitutes, live with whoever you want, say whatever you want, do whatever you want. It doesn't matter how you live as long as you're good on the inside. And that was a teaching that you'll find in, in all of the, uh, the epistles and Paul's writings say, no, this is gibberish. This is wrong. You cannot serve God without knowing that what you do in your heart is going to flow out. You cannot honor God and not honor others. If you don't honor others, if you don't have that love and that respect that's flowing out from you from the inside, then you're not really honoring God. You don't get any more practical than this. <laughs> but this is the first step. <laughs> okay, I want to have a great holiday. I, I promise you, I promise you, 
you can test God's word on this. <laughs> because it's, it's saying when you, if you step in whatever your situation is, Thanksgiving or it's weird or doing this or Christmas, or just step in and say, God, I'm, I'm just going to honor others. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sh- show them and love them like you love me. Then it changes everything. You see, holy honor thrives in service. It expands. It becomes larger. It will consume you. It will overwhelm you. It will flow out of you. It will be something so much greater. And you think, great, how do I live this life? And how, how do I really touch this world? And how do I change people around me? How do I do that? Okay, let's do the first step. Honor. Love them like God loved them. 1 Peter 2.17 says, show respect to everyone. Love the believers. Okay, I got it. I love the believers. I'm going to love them, be respectful, and love the believers. Fear God. Honor the king. <laughs> I think if we could, we'd just mark out that last part. <laughs> just, just mark it out. You know, the last, the epilogue for the book of Revelation says, anyone that removes anything from Scripture is not going to be a good day for you. <laughs> and so sometimes we like part of the Scripture, but we don't like all of the Scripture. <laughs> It's, it's uncomfortable. And that, we live in a world today, even within churches today, that says, well, this is okay now. This lifestyle is okay here. Or these, this action is okay. We can, we can do all, all this, you know, because it doesn't say it everywhere, and they just take it out, take it out, take it out. We believe in the whole Scripture. And this is what it's saying. It says, this is, you see, you can spell R-E-S-P-E-C-T all you want. <laughs> but in the end, come on. I have a little attitude when I do that. You, in the end... It's not about that. It's even because honoring means caring and loving even when you disagree. Even when they're wrong and they don't know it. Come on, somebody say amen. (laughs) Even when we're wrong and we don't know it. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. That's uncomfortable. Even in this season, we, we have an election, and I think you should vote. I think honoring the king, honoring the authority is voting. You have to do that. You have to express it. I think we should get involved. I think part of the reasons that, we're, that we've seen ourselves and our country come to the, this point is we stopped getting involved in school boards and, and small city councils and things like that, and we just sort of left that somewhere else and not understanding how we need to be connected. So in our government, that's respecting, that's being honoring, that's being involved, that's being connected, and I think most certainly we should do that. But even when we come against someone that is different or thinks different or behaves different. How do we live like Jesus did? You see, Jesus didn't know how he'd get back to being a rabbi. When Jesus and I, when, when Jesus came in out of, when it came into ministry, all the Pharisees, everyone called him rabbi, which never would have been done. You cannot do that. They, they thought he was a crummy rabbi. They thought he was a wrong rabbi. They didn't like what he was teaching, but they always called him teacher, rabbi. Why was that? Because I believe he ultimately ended up in that school all the way until he was 29 and came out. He was a rabbi. Everyone saw him as a rabbi. You see, he got there because God's plan was always there. God was, it's always, you, you can trust. And see, this is what we do. God, I don't, I don't really know if I could do this. I don't know if I could give this. I don't know if I could trust you here. I don't know if I could trust you with my relationship because it, maybe it won't work out. That's not honoring God. Jesus said, I'm going to honor you by honoring my folks, by honoring my parents, and I'm going to go where I know I'm supposed to be here, <laughs> but I'll learn, I'll learn what it means to be a stonemason. 
And then you look at Jesus' teaching. How many times does he talk about building and foundations and the cornerstone and all that that just comes out of all of him? God has a plan. God has a purpose. Trust God with all of this. You see, Jesus gave honor at the first Passover, and he gave honor at the last Passover. Because right before he went to the cross and right before he died, before he ever broke bread, before he ever instituted the sacrament of the communion, before he did all that, he got on his knees before every single disciple and washed, washed, sorry, Texas accent comes out there, washed, washed their feet one by one. Dirty, grimy feet. <laughs> First century sandals only in the dust and muck and horse droppings. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? This was not a pretty job. He did that for every one of them because they refused to wash each other's feet, which is what they should have done when they first came in the room. So long before he ever broke bread, he said, this is what it means. This is what it means. I'm going to the cross and I'm going to die. But the only way that I can is that I had to first descend from heaven so that I can live for you, so that I can die for you, so that you can then learn how to live and die for others. And that's what it talks about. Let me read just a short little passage and I'll finish with this. John 13, verses 14 through 17 says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher and rabbi, <laughs> have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now you're saying, wait a minute, Greg. Did he just institute another sacrament? We got communion. We got water baptism, which you need to be water baptized if you made a recommitment or you have never done that. Is it now that we're supposed to wash each other's feet every, every, every week? Watch what he says. He says, okay, now that I have done this, you should also do this. I have set an example. In other words, this is to illustrate something. I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. This is what it means to honor God. Then, then, now you will know these things. You will be blessed if you do them. Did you just see what happened? That's the epilogue. That's exactly what we find in Luke 2.52 when it says that he grew in wisdom and favor with God and man. He said, I want that. I want to grow in favor with God and man. How do we do that? It, it comes with first honoring. And honoring means surrendering. Honoring means giving it up. <laughs> Saying, God, you can't, I can't do this. Then he took the bread. Then he took the cup. We rush to the table, the Lord's table, too quick, I think, without saying, God, thank you for what you did in me. How can I help others? How can I love others?